Uh, I'm excited for where we're going this morning. I believe that God wants to uh, lead us through a story in Joshua. So if you have your Bibles, turn in the book of Joshua. I do want to mention one thing before I start preaching that. Uh, tomorrow, through the engaged bus, there is a Thanksgiving dinner. If someone uh, you know does not have a place to go for Thanksgiving, or you don't have a place to go for Thanksgiving, or family near that uh, you get to gather with, uh, through the engaged bus, uh, Tara and the team are doing a Thanksgiving dinner with your church family at the Spruce Grove location, and there's games for kids from 2 to 4, and then dinner from 4 to 6, and you were supposed to RSVP, but I mean... Just go anyways. Don't be like, oh, I did an RSVP. No, if you don't want to be by yourself and you want to be with other people, come on out tomorrow and get to know some people and spend some time at Spruce Grove. So 2 to about 6 o'clock, and it's going to be a great time. It is a potluck, so you can bring something, and that'll be great. Okay. That was my side announcement. If you have your Bibles, pardon? Oh, Tara said that was great. That was good. No, she said good, not great. Maybe next week I'll get a great. Uh, Turn your Bibles to Joshua, and uh, last week we talked about the story of faith, the story of faith, Um, because I think we all want to live by faith. We want to know what it is to respond in faith to God. Uh, This walk we have with Jesus is a faith journey. If you didn't know that, if you've given your life to Jesus, and you're like, now it's going to be amazing from here on out, it is, it is. But you will still go through hard stuff. And some of you are like, oh, well, no one told me that. Well, I'm telling you now, but it's okay because Jesus will walk with you and we'll walk with you. And and God wants to lead you forward. And it's going to take some steps of faith day in and day out as you move forward with Jesus. Now, Hebrews chapter 11 verse 1 says this. It says, faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It's the evidence of the things that we cannot see. And this is like one of those verses in the Bible that It's so unhelpful because faith is the evidence of things you hope for, of things you cannot see. And you're like, this writer, like, this is amazing. So you're telling me, be hopeful in the things that you cannot see. Yes, that's what he's saying. But there is a promise and there is a move of God in our lives when we hear from him that allows us to hope, to believe, to look forward to Jesus and to have faith for something that God is going to do and he is doing and he will continue to do until we meet him face to face. But that requires faith. We're all called to this life of faith and uh, when we're called to a life of faith, there are difficult decisions to make at times. Uh, And last week I talked about the story of God and I would say that In the story of God, when we find ourselves as a part of God's story, a lot of us don't put ourselves in that story. We look at the word of God and we think the book is closed, the book is done, this is where things are at. And we don't add to scripture, but the story of what God is doing from Genesis until he sends his son Jesus back is still ongoing. You and I get to be a part of God's story and what he's doing in the earth. So it's bigger than all of us. And we need to start seeing ourselves as characters, as individuals who get to step into that story and walk by faith with Jesus. But a lot of times we discount ourselves uh, and because we think, well, I don't have it in me to make great steps of faith, do great acts of faith or things like we see in scripture. But I would argue with you again that I believe that some of the greatest acts of faith in scripture came because people made decisions of subtle obedience to walk with Jesus to just follow what God asked them to do. And, uh, 
as we learn about that and as we talk about that over the next few weeks, we want to understand that God is doing something that we can walk in faith. But sometimes, sometimes when we lean into faith and lean into the story that God wants us to walk in, we have to overcome some obstacles. We have to go through some things. And our story in Joshua this morning is just about that. They have been looking for a promise. Now, hear, hear me with this. When we talk about the promise of God, some of us are like, God, you've called me and you're going to do this in my life, and I'm called to be this type of leader, or you're going to do this or that, and you've heard the word of God. You know, a month goes by, or you graduate Bible college, and you don't get your dream preaching job the day after, and you're like, well, maybe I missed the promise. Maybe I don't understand. You know, it's like God told me that my whole family's going to get saved, and I've been praying for like two weeks, and it hasn't happened yet. Well, the children of Israel can relate to you because they had a promise that they were going to have property and land and a place in the earth. They were slaves, and God brings them out of Egypt. But they had been promised like 500 years earlier with a guy named Abram and Abraham that I will give you a place and I will make you a people. And now it's like 500 years later, they're like, we're still waiting to see this promise. And, and, and when they left Egypt, I thought they were probably very excited that they were going to see the promise happen, and it turns into 40 years in the desert and in the wilderness. And, and some of us are like, oh, Lord Jesus, don't lead me that way. I don't want to go to the wilderness or to the desert. And so we pick it up in Joshua chapter 1, and Moses has died, and that's the, it's like the, the beginning of Joshua chapter 1. is like, now Moses, my servant, has died, and God starts speaking to Joshua. So here we find Joshua. He's a new leader. He's hearing from God. He has to take his role to lead these people, these people that he's watched, complain, have good days, bad days, seen some miracles in the wilderness. Uh, He was one of two guys that had full faith to believe for the promise 40 years ago, but everybody turned against him, and now they're roundabout again. They're about to go into the land, and Joshua's now the leader. And he's like, he's probably thinking, I wonder who's with me this time around. Because last time, 12 spies went into the land, and only two of them, Joshua and Caleb, said, we can do it. We can do what God wants us to do. And he has to step up, and he has to take his place in the story of God and lead the people into the land. So we open up in Joshua chapter 1, verse 10 and 11. It says this. So Joshua commanded the officers of the people, pass through the midst of the camp and command the people. Prepare your provisions, for within three days you are to pass over this Jordan to go in and take possession of the land that the Lord your God is giving you to possess. Joshua said, you guys, it's time to get ready. It's time to move into something that God has promised us. He didn't say, hey, let's wake up in a few days and let's pray and let's see. Maybe God will do something. He goes, no. He says, the time is here. And God is making a way, and you need to get up and get ready and move in to this next step, into the promise that God has already given you. He takes his role seriously. He leads them out. But after he tells the people this, I find this very funny. Joshua chapter 2, we're kind of going to do a rundown of Joshua 1 through 5 this morning, just so you know. Joshua chapter 2, he sends out two spies. He's like, I've told the people, God, what you want me to do, but like even as a leader... I'm going to need a little more confirmation from you, God. And so it says he secretly sends out two spies to go into the land and say, is it ready? What are the people saying? What's going on? And these spies go, and they have their runaround with, you know, 
guards chasing them, trying to find them. But they come back and they tell Joshua, the people are terrified because they know that God has sent us this way and that God has given us this land. And so then we pick up our story in Joshua chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3, it says this. So then Joshua rose early in the morning. I read a commentary about this. And one guy was like, men of God, rise up early to lead their people. And this and I'm like... I need a new verse. I want to sleep in. <laughs> it's like, no, Joshua was ready to do what God had asked him to do. It says, Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and he lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest... Then, everyone say then. Then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, or in order that you may know the way that you shall go. For you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priest, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant, and they went before the people. Now, as the priest stepped into the water, it begins to separate. They begin to stand in the middle of the Jordan. Uh, one thing that we can learn here, sometimes you're called to be a leader, and leaders go first. Leaders step into things that other people are like, I'm going to wait and see what happens a little bit here. But leaders, sometimes God calls us in faith. And some of you here are sitting here this morning, and this isn't part of my message, but you are called to lead people into something, and you will have to go first. Your friends won't be doing it. Your family might not be doing it, but you will go first. And so as they stepped in, the water began to separate. It stopped up the river at a place called Adam, and it flowed out to the Dead Sea. And all the people, it says, passed on dry ground. Now, this wasn't like, oh, this is a little river. And it's like not even like the North Saskatchewan. It's like this is at flood time. And this season, this river could be overflowed and almost be about a mile wide. And you're talking about the water stopping and holding until a million to two million people pass through the river. I mean, we wait in lineups for football games or hockey games, and it's like it takes forever just to get out at the end of the game. Now it's like go stand in the middle of the river, leaders, hold the presence of God, and let everyone else get out before you get to get out. I'd be kind of like, God, I don't know what you're doing upstream, but I hope that that water break or dam or whatever you did, I hope it holds. And, and they're in this place. So the water flows out. They all cross over on dry ground, and they camp at a place called Gilgal, and that's where they come to. But I want to bring us back to a verse in Joshua chapter 3, verse 3. It says this in the ESV. As soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. Everybody say follow. In order that you may know the way that you should go. But then he says this, for you have not passed this way before. Church, we're going a place we've never been before. And God wants to teach us how we can do that by faith. Let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you this morning that your word is always alive. It's powerful. It's living. And it's so active in our life. God, it, you don't want your word to be something that's dormant and boring or stale. It, it's something that breathes and speaks life into us as we follow you. So this morning, God, I just pray that your word 
would come to life and that we would begin to trust you with new levels of faith and obedience in Jesus' name. And we thank you that you have shone your face on the Oilers once again. Amen. I got a much louder amen after that. I said to Ben before the service, I'm like, if I pray for the Oilers, you watch, they'll lose tomorrow night. We don't know that. Living by faith will require us to follow. We talk about this all the time at Engage, that we follow Jesus one step at a time. But if we're going to live by faith, what we're really saying is, God, I'm going to follow you no matter what it looks like, no matter where you're taking me, no matter what you want to do in my life. And when we live by faith, there will be seasons and times where God comes to you and he says, I've called you to go here instead of there. And you're like, God, that's not where I wanted to go. And he's like, yeah, but you told me you would follow So I'm going to ask you to move in faith and start going this direction and start doing the thing that I've called you to do. And very often we get asked to move in a direction that we've never been before, that we don't understand. Leadership would be easy if we always got to go to the same place and get the same result. Can I tell you something that's not leadership, that's consultation. You consult with someone to get to where they've been, but leaders have to go places that people have never gone before, and when God leads us, he's leading us into his plan and his purpose, and I can tell you that we've not been there before. We've not passed this way before, maybe in our own individual callings, but even as a church, what's happening right now is new I've never done it before. Pastor Brett's never done it before. I don't know if any of you have done it before, but there has to be a trust and a faith to follow. Where we say, God, your presence is moving, so we have to choose to follow. But for most of us, this is the most terrifying thing about following Jesus. Because deep in our heart of hearts, we're like, God, I'll serve you, I'll love you, I'll follow you, just... Bless my life. Let me feel your presence. Thank you for being there for me. And when he's like, hey, I want you to do something you've never done before, you're like, oh, my gosh. If the pastor asks me to pray out loud, I might just die. I would rather go to heaven. (laughs) Like some of you have thought that. Right? And then then, so then God starts prompting heart. It's like, hey, you're going to start doing something. You're going to start leading. You're like, no, no, that's just, I'm just making things up. That's the enemy. And the pastor comes like, I think you'd be really good in this area, in the church, and in leading people. And you're like, no, no, not for me. It's like, at a certain point, you have to start asking yourself, God, are you asking me to do something? Are you leading me into something? You see, for many of us, we don't like doing new things. I mean, I don't like going to a new barber. That's why I still drive all the way to the north side of Edmonton, 25 minutes to get my hair cut, which it actually takes me longer to drive there and back than it does to get my hair cut. Because I don't want to go to a new place. Took my boys to a new place. Oh, my gosh. I got home and I shaved my one son's head right after we got home. It was so bad. And it reinforced my fear. I don't like doing new things. How many of you, when you're, when you're talking young adults after church, you're like, let's decide where we're going to eat for two hours and then still, still go to the same two restaurants that we always go to, right? Like, that's just what happens. And then, like, when one person in the group's like, guys, we should go to this new place no one's ever been, and the rest of the group's like, hmm, no, I don't think so. Why don't you go and next week tell us how it is, then maybe we'll think about it, right? Like, this is our human nature. Because we don't love doing new things, and 
you know, talk about like a new route to work. How many of you like just wake up sometimes, you're like, I'm just going to drive a different way. They're like, why would I do that? Tara does. That's amazing. Sometimes, sometimes I'll drive somewhere a certain way, and my wife's like, why are you doing that? And I'll, I'll lie sometimes because I actually miss the turn. I'm like, oh, I just wanted to go a different way this time. <laughs> you know, I'm not intentionally doing it. They say for creativity and function, sometimes forcing yourself into habits where you do different and new things that you haven't done, it keeps your mind sharper and stuff like that. But, I mean, some of us would rather just drive to work and forgot how we got there in the morning because we don't like the new. We struggle with the new. And I want to propose to you this morning that we are going somewhere in our lives that we've never been before. See, we think we have so much control and we think that we can shape what's going to happen tomorrow or the next day. And yes, we can plan and we can do a good job at those things. But guess what? None of us have lived this day. None of us has had this year's Thanksgiving dinner. And we don't know if it's going to be good or bad. None of us have seen tomorrow yet. And so we get so worked up when God's like, I want to do something new in your life and in your church and in your faith. We're like, God, nope, I'm going to control it. I'm going to do it. But it's like we don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow morning when we wake up. And we think we're controlling it. We can do our best to play it safe. But the reality is, is all of it is new. And whether we like it or not, we will find ourselves in situations that we've never been before. And we have to go through them. And so where I would say that we can't avoid going a direction we've never been before in our day-to-day lives, we can choose how we step into it. And when it comes to our faith in God and when it comes to faith in life, I think we've given ourselves an out. Sometimes we say, God, well, I get to choose if I step into this thing you've called me to. And there's a measure of truth to that because we can choose whether we will follow or not. But I'll tell you one thing. Whether you choose to move forward with what God is doing or not, it won't change whether God keeps moving or not. Because he will fulfill his purpose in the earth and he is doing something because there is a plan that is bigger than all of us. I would say to you this morning that faith is so much more about where or how we're placing our hope for tomorrow than it is about trying to hold on to what we see or understand today. Faith is so much more about what we are hoping for in Jesus for tomorrow than what we're trying to hold on to and understand and see today. And some of us, we have a difficult time moving into the way we've never been before because we don't have a a picture of it. We don't have a vision for it. We don't have a promise for it. But as we begin to open our eyes and we begin to say, God, I'm going to choose to walk in faith and trust you, he begins to reveal those things to us. See, when it comes to the subtle art of living by faith, I think as we're obedient to God and we say to God, how do I step into a way I've never been before and have faith and trust you, even though I'm scared at times, even though I don't understand at times? I believe that we can lean in to a dependency on God that we've never known before, and it will cause us to be seen as people of faith. Like, I mentioned this last week. I don't go around declaring myself to be this great person of faith. But sometimes simple things I've done in my life, people are like, how did you do that? That that took so much faith. I wish I had that much faith. I'm like, faith? I'm like, I was just trying to be obedient. I was scared, like, more than you could know. 
But I made a choice and I made a decision to be obedient. And when we look at Joshua chapter 3, the amazing picture here is that God moves them from this place called Shittim or the Acacia Grove. Don't get stuck at the Acacia Grove. To a place called Gilgal. And the representation of, you know, crossing the Jordan really moved them from this place where they were to the beginning of the promise of God. They set foot on the promised land in the Acacia Grove, and it, it moved them forward in their journey with God. And sometimes we're looking to get to the end destination, but there will be steps and there will be stages in your journey and your walk with God, and it will simply get us to a new place with God that leads us to the next place. See, we don't know what all of this stuff for engaged means right now. What does this mean for five years or ten years? Trust me, I've racked my brain and I try to think of that and I'd make myself crazy. And I've just had to say, okay, God, this is the step from here to there. And when we get there, you'll show us the next step to the next place. But what the interesting thing is, is when you look at what these two locations meant, the acacia grove was the place of the thorn bush or this acacia tree. And the acacia tree in scripture really represents a hard twisted wood, more like a thorn bush, and it's actually kind of indicative and representative of our human nature. Because our natural bent in human nature can have a hardness in it. It can be twisted. We're sinful. It it, it talks about our own strength and our own way. You know, Isaiah says each man has gone his own way, but Jesus made a way for them all. Like if you would turn and follow Jesus, like we, we have a choice to live our own way or to move into God's way and his direction. And the Acacia Grove represents our humanness. But they come to this place called Gilgal. And Gilgal literally means rolling away. And God says, I'm going to roll away your flesh. I'm going to roll away your humanness. I'm going to roll away your shame, your sin. And Gilgal is one of the scariest places in scripture because at Gilgal, as soon as they crossed over the Jordan, uh, God told Joshua in Joshua chapter 5, to speak probably the most terrifying verse in scripture. It says, now go and make your, for yourself sharp knives and circumcise all the men of Israel. Like, we're not talking babies anymore. Most of the men in the military at that time would have been between the ages of 20 and 38. And this is what God tells them to do. But why at this point did God want to renew covenant? See, because any time in the wilderness, God could have came to the people and said, hey, you haven't been following this covenant of circumcision, of being set apart, of being my people, of showing that you belong to me. That's what it really represents. And, and, and we've talked about this before in the New Testament. Okay, God is talking about our hearts. Is there a setting apart in our hearts, in our lives, that we are belonging to him? We are his people. And God says, Amazingly enough, not before you cross the Jordan, he goes after. The minute they step into the promised land where they're about to face a military battle, he asks them to actually decommission every fighting man in all of Israel. Because when that happens and you're 35, you're probably not going to war for the next five or six days. And God purposely on the other side of the Jordan, when they cross over, says, okay, now set yourselves apart and be dependent on me. 
You see, God sometimes will move us from the place of our humanness, our own effort, our own ability, how we think we can do things, to a place that is totally far beyond our own abilities and say, in this place, you're going to have to be totally dependent on me. You're going to have to trust that I'm leading you, that I'm protecting you, that I'm guarding you, that I'm covering you. And this is where he leads them to. And living by faith is living dependent on God. It's living in a place where he leads us in a way that we've never been before. But it's a scary thing. But this morning, I believe that we can live by faith with confidence if we understand a few things from this story. You see, we can have confidence and live by faith when we prepare ourselves. When we prepare ourselves. Joshua told the people... Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. In Joshua chapter 1, he says, make for yourself provisions, prepare yourself, get ready for what God is going to do. And I would ask us this question, how do we prepare for what we can't see? Because we say, God, if I would have seen this coming, if I would have seen this change in our church coming, if I would have seen this change in what you're doing in my family and in my life coming, if I would have seen this change in occupation coming, I would have prepared a little bit more. But no, no, God's saying, you can't see what's going on right now, but you still need to prepare yourselves. And I believe this morning that being prepared, it meant to consecrate or set apart, but it also means to be ready to move. And there's something we learn as we walk with God. If we're going to live by faith, we have to be ready to move and get up and follow when God asks us to move. And there's a determination that comes in us and a maturity as we follow God through our lives that says, God, I'm going to be ready no matter what season I'm in, no matter what you're doing, no matter what this looks like, that I have already determined in my heart that I'm following you. See, the preparation doesn't mean have absolutely everything ready and know everything that you're stepping into. No, it takes faith. God's going to teach you some things. He's going he's to equip you for the things he calls you into. But the preparation of our hearts means, God, I'm going to make sure that I'm set apart. That I'm ready to be used by you. That I, I have kept my life in a way that, God, you can use me. That, God, I've come to a place where I've already predetermined that if you ask me to go, I'll go. But let's be honest, I, I've done this. God, when you put an opportunity in front of me, I'll pray about it, and then I'll decide if that's what I'm going to do. But the older I get, I've learned to determine and to believe that, God, I don't understand this, and I still need to pray about it. But, God, if you're saying this is where you're leading, I guess I already made that decision to follow you a long time ago. So it's not really subjective anymore. It's, it's a preparation of our heart that tells us we're going to be ready to move into what God calls us to do. See, we determine that we're going to follow Jesus even before we're asked to take a step of faith. We determine that we will be available to God's purpose, even over sometimes our own purpose in our lives. Because I can tell you one thing. God has a purpose for your life and my life, but you have a purpose for your life. And God loves you, and he loves your purpose, and he loves your family, and he loves the dreams and desires of your heart. But sometimes God calls us into a purpose that's bigger than all of us. In Joshua chapter 1, right after he tells everyone to prepare themselves, he goes to a group of people. He goes to the two and a half tribes of Gad, Reuben, and Manasseh. Because they had become so familiar with the east side of the Jordan, they said, you know, Moses, let us just stay here. 
this is a good enough promise for us. We're comfortable here. And Moses is like, why would you do that? Like, why would you settle less for less than the full promise of God? And Moses was angry, and God, God says, Moses, don't be angry. If they want this land, I'll give them this land. But, but they have to understand that my promise is bigger than them. And just because they have their promise on the east side of the Jordan, they have to help everyone else fulfill my purpose and promise on the other side. And so Joshua goes to them and he says, remember what you said to Moses. We said that you can stay here and this is what you're going to lean into and this is what you're satisfied with in life. But sometimes God calls you to a promise that's bigger than your own purpose. Sometimes he calls you to fight for others. And he says, so don't, don't shrink back on me now. Don't, don't stop now. And, and I feel a word in my heart that for some of us here, we have a good life in Jesus. We've seen some great things happen. Our kids are going to church and, and we couldn't be happier about what's going on. And yes, we still face struggles, but sometimes it's easy in that moment to be like, I just want to settle in and enjoy this. But there is a word from God that just is saying, hey, there's more for other people, for people that have not come into this yet. And you need to go away you've never been so you make a pathway for other people to follow. And there's a promise of God that's bigger than all of us. So we have to prepare ourselves and be determined that we will go where God leads us. We walk by faith and confidence when we prepare ourselves, but we also walk in confidence when we go after the presence of God. In Joshua chapter 3, verse 2 to 3, it says this, So it was after three days that the officers went through the camp, and they commanded the people, When you see the ark of the covenant of your Lord your God, and the priests and the Levites bearing it, then you shall set out from your place and go after it. Everyone say, go after it. I believe there is a call for our church and our lives to get after the presence of God like we never have before. Some of us have watched it and we've been around it and we've felt it and we've been immersed in it for so long, but there is a call to go after his presence in a way we've never gone before because he is gonna lead us. Can I tell you something? Yes, the priests carried the presence of God. We are all called priests and kings. We are supposed to carry the presence of God to people around us in our community, but let us get this straight. It leads us. We don't lead the presence of God. It is the presence of God that leads us into his purpose and his fullness and his plan. You see, it was at this point in time that the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Covenant was a box that the Israelites had that represented the presence and the seat and the throne of God and his presence among his people. And up until this point, that Ark sat in the middle of the camp in the tabernacle. And all of a sudden, Joshua moves it on the shoulders of the priests, and it goes before the camp. Now, this is an incredible picture because the whole community, God loves me. God's presence is with us. It's at the center of our lives. It's so good. It's so amazing. But when the presence moved in front of them, it was like God was saying, look, I don't need you to protect my presence. I need you to know that my presence is leading you, and I'm the one protecting you, and I'm the one that's opening a way for you to move forward, and I'm the one that's going to lead you into fullness and wholeness. I'm going to be the one that leads you into the promise. It might be uncomfortable at times. We have to get in the water. We have to go in a little bit deeper than we thought we were going to have to go, but it's when we do that, we see God move in ways we've never seen before. 
You see, his presence is what will lead us into fullness. So church, in your own home, but in this body, as we pray, as we dig deep, as we go after the presence of God, it will be the thing that opens the pathway to where he wants us to go. It's what will give us vision and direction and leadership and guidance. And that is the thing that we need to go after most. I said, God, how do we do that? And I really believe God spoke to me this. He says, you need to start thinking outside the box. If you're going to walk by faith, start thinking outside the box. And when we, when we look at the Ark of the Covenant, there were three items in the box. So the Ark, if you've never understood this, you, when you study the articles in the Tabernacle of Moses, and you study the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark was made out of acacia wood, that same wood that represents our humanness, it represented Jesus' humanness. But then it was covered in gold. It was covered in the divine nature of Christ. And then at the top of the box, there was a place called the mercy seat. And that's where they sprinkled the blood of the lamb or the animal that was a sacrifice. Why? Because it had to cover our sins. Because inside the box, the first thing was the Ten Commandments. The commands of God and and the commands needed to be covered by blood because we couldn't keep them on our own. But also inside the box was a bowl of manna. And manna was what they ate every morning in the wilderness. It was bread that fell from heaven. It just kind of ended up on the ground every morning. It's like, you know, sometimes we complain about, God, why aren't you moving? Why aren't you doing anything? It's like every day, bread from heaven, God's doing something, there's provision. And it represented the provision of God that sustained them. And it held them. The third item was a staff. Just a stick. A rod. It was actually the rod of Aaron. It was the rod of leadership. He was the leading priest of the people. And that was a crazy story. They tried to decide, well, who should lead all the priests? And they said, well, let's all throw our staffs, our sticks in the ground. And God will give us a sign that who should be the leader. And Aaron's rod starts budding almonds and blossoming. A dead stick all of a sudden had life. They're like, maybe, maybe Aaron should be the leader. And so they had that in the box. But can I tell you this morning, Jesus takes us beyond the box. See, the box and the representation, what they got to see, opened a passage through the Jordan. It made a way through the waters. It made a way into dependence on God. It made a way into a new life. We need to have a baptism service really soon so I can preach on this again. But it made a way into the promise and into the fullness and moved them forward in the journey. But Jesus takes us beyond the box because Jesus is not just a box with gold and wood and full of stone and sticks and bread. He was all those things within himself. Jesus came as the bread of life so we could have provision and feed on him. Jesus came as the good shepherd, promising to lead us to where he wanted us to go. Jesus came and he fulfilled all of those commandments and yet even he shed his own blood and covered them. You see, they were told to keep a space between them in the box. But in the New Testament, when Jesus came, Jesus said, the veil torn in two, and you have access to me. You have access to your relationship with your Father. You can come before God, and you can trust Him, and you can be led by Him, and you can walk out your days in strength 
and in faith. You see, Jesus takes us beyond the box. In Hebrews chapter 2, it says this, you've given them authority over all things. Now, when it says all things, it means nothing is left out. But we've not seen all things put under their authority. But what we do see is Jesus, who for a little while was given a position lower than the angels, and because he suffered for us and is now crucified with glory or crowned with glory and honor, yes, by God's grace, Jesus tasted death for everyone. God, for whom and through whom everything was made, chose to bring many children into glory. God is choosing to bring many people unto himself, church. And it was only right that he should make Jesus, through his suffering, a perfect leader, fit to bring them into their salvation. You want to know why we follow Jesus? We follow Jesus because he's leading other people to salvation. We follow Jesus because we trust that he will take us to the fullness of what he called us to. But we also follow Jesus because it is only through Jesus that other people can come through the river, can come out of their own humanness, can come out of that acacia grove, come to a place of dependence on God and understand the hope and the promise and the life that they can have in Jesus. We titled this series, The Subtle Art of Living by Faith, and I wrestled with this because... I'm not as creative as some people, and I don't always understand art. And you know what I realized last night? I was thinking, I'm like, God, how do I have an art illustration and this? And I'm like, because I don't get it. I don't understand it. And I was like, that's it. See, art and creatives and artists, they, they, they're always trying to think outside of the box, and they're trying to think bigger than what's been seen. And and when you ask someone why they like art, it's like they don't have to have a reason. They just they just love it. They just look at a painting and they look at something like, it moves me. It does something. It just, and I'm like, I'm the I'm like, no. I have to understand it because if it doesn't make sense, I'm just done. Like I'm I'm hung up on it. But the beauty of our faith is that God is doing something that we might not always understand or see or get the whole picture at once, but I believe as we look at it long enough, there's something about Jesus that's just beautiful and it's amazing and it and it leads us to a place where we're like, God, like how could I not follow you? How could I not serve you? How could I not just be caught up with who you are? You see, I think some of us are so caught up in trying to understand what Jesus is doing, it actually hinders us from simply following Loving him, drawing closer to him, going deeper with him, trusting him so we can live our lives by faith. But I want to be someone that learns how to follow Jesus. Why? Because he called me. Because he loved me first. Because he has good plans for my life and the lives of others. I want to follow Jesus because I see something in Jesus that this world can never offer me. That's how we live by faith. We prepare ourselves. We say, God, I'm going to, I signed up to follow you, and I'm going to be ready to follow you in whatever season, in whatever way, in whatever timing. God, I'm going to go after your presence like I've never gone after it before. I'm going to let your presence lead me. Even if it means when I'm in a restaurant and God, your presence tells me to 
give a word to someone at the next table or pay for their dinner. Oh my goodness, it got real. I'm gonna trust you. I did that once. I just went up to this young couple. I'm like, I, I just think God wants me to pay for your dinner and he loves you and, and, and he wants to do something in your life. And they looked at me like I was absolutely crazy. And I was like, well, I walked back to my table and left the restaurant. I'm like, God, I, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be obedient. But I don't know what happened with that. And we think outside the box. You guys, our faith, our Christianity is not just a box or an object or a bunch of rules or something we follow because it's routine and regulation. No, we follow a living Savior. We follow a living reality of Jesus and what He wants to do. And He is leading us to places that are going to see many people come to salvation, that are going to see many people experience the hope that we found in Jesus.